the Word of God this morning and go to Jonah chapter number 4. And we want to encourage you today through the Bible. And you might hear something today that offends you. If it's from God, then the truth is that we need to change because God is right and God is just and holy. And we are the ones that are not. So uh, without Christ, we are not holy and we're not right. Um, Because of Jesus, uh, we are saints of God and we are sanctified for his purpose. And so, uh, but we need to submit to what God says today. So I want you to take the Bible and we'll read Jonah chapter number four uh, in just a minute. I know I have you there, but um, let's just go back for review to chapter three, verses one through four and read those verses. And uh, if you would, let's stand for the reading of God's word out of respect for his His holy word, verses 1 through 4. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey. And he cried and he said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be over." Throne. We know that Jonah ran from God. We read that in chapter 1. Then we see in Jonah chapter number 2 that Jonah repented for his sin of running from God. And then we see in chapter 3 that Jonah returned to God's plan. Amen. And uh, then today, sadly, we'll see that Jonah resented returning to God. So let's pray. Father, I pray that you bless this day in your word, this beautiful Sunday. Uh, your people are here. We have gathered to, uh, to study and to listen to what your Spirit says. We're here to grow because without applying the Bible, then we're not actually uh, doing anything productive because James tells us, we read in the book of James, that it's the doing of the word that you want, not just hearing so, Father, I pray that we would, your people would have a heart to hear and speak to us. We know you will, because your word will not return void, but I pray that you would do something uh, wonderful in our midst today. I pray for those that are not saved, that today they would come to Jesus and be saved. I pray for those that are uh, saved, but maybe they have uh, grown cold spiritually, that today that you would warm the heart. And, uh, Lord, give us the heart that uh, would hear and listen and obey. I pray that, um, that today this would be a, a great help to your people. Thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, this opportunity to preach, Father. Help me to do what I need to do. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. And uh, we know that Jonah's message to Nineveh was that in 40 days... In verse 4, we saw that in 40 days, if they didn't repent, God was going to destroy them for their sin. Jonah's Nineveh in the Bible is thematically connected to another wicked city called Sodom. They have, um, in Genesis 19, 25, we won't turn there, but 
in that same in that verse, the same word God describes the uh, destruction of Sodom using the same word that He uses in chapter three, verse four. Uh, the word "overthrow" in the Hebrew is uh, sounds like our English word "havoc." Um, to cry "havoc" um, historically was a signal to soldiers to seize and plunder. Uh, in our English, we use that phrase. We we use the phrase to wreak havoc. It means to pillage, basically, to pillage and loot. God was going to overthrow. He was going to waste the city because of their sin. You might say, well, that's not very nice for God to do that. You know, God should, or God has every right to destroy this planet because of man's sin. God has every right. And if you don't agree with that, that's probably why many people are so confused as to all the problems in the world. That's why so many people blame God for all of the problems, because they don't realize that the problems are here because of God's mercy. And you might be saying, why? Is, why? That doesn't make sense. If God's merciful, then why do we have problems? Because God has given to us time. He has given us time to repent, to get things right with Him. But in the meantime, man has, has caused problems in this world. Man's sin has brought death and murder and uh, thievery and all of the sins that I'm not going to list this morning. But all of the things that we want to blame God for is really man's fault. But we blame God because it goes on. And why isn't God doing something about it? If God's so powerful, if God's so loving, why doesn't he just take care of it? My friend, he will take care of it. But he's giving us time to repent and praise God for his mercy. Because without his mercy, we would be in hell today. We would be in hell. And honestly, many who are here this morning that got saved out of a life of sin, you should be in your grave this morning. But because of God's love and mercy, he, he saved you out of that life. To not only give you eternal life, but to give you a longer life here on this earth even. And so praise God for that. And... Um, the city of Nineveh, if you go to chapter 4, verse 11, we get some insight on this city about its size. We, we know it's a, a great city. But in verse 11, chapter 4, he says, And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein uh, are more than six score thousand, so 120,000 persons that cannot discern between the right hand and their left hand, and also many cattle. That means that the city of Nineveh had 120,000 small children who could not tell the difference between their right and left hand. Uh, if you extrapolate that number of 120,000 children, we can conclude that uh, there were anywhere between 600,000 and a million people in the city of Nineveh. It was not a small town. This was a large city. And uh, Jonah, uh, after he gets out of the belly of the whale, he goes and he preaches. And if you can imagine, he walks the streets of this, uh, this large city, uh, it was a large number, there were a large number of people, but with that many people, it was spread out. There was a, a large, uh, you know, plot of land. It was a large piece of land, a large city geographically, and he preaches uh, to them, and he uh, tries to reach as many of the citizens as possible there, and he preaches judgment, because that's what God told him to preach. He said, warn them of judgment, 
Uh, some people get confused. They think, well, um, if, we're, if we're warning people of judgment, doesn't that sound kind of judgmental? Well, we're just warning them of what is going to happen. Sometimes people don't like, well, we, can't, we shouldn't tell people that they're sinners. That's not very nice, right? That's not very nice. Uh, did God tell us to be nice or to be honest? Now, we should preach the truth in love. So there, there's some wisdom needed as we preach about impending judgment. And it should be done, I believe, it, we start with a heart of love. A heart of love for people. Do you care about the souls of men? Uh, my grandpa used to say, I feel sorry for all the sinners of this world. I feel sorry for them because they're going to hell. They don't know it. And some of them are looking forward to going to hell because they think that hell is a party place. But my grandpa said, I feel so sorry for them, don't you? He said, I feel sorry for them enough that I'm willing to tell them about it. And I don't think my grandpa was bragging or, or uh, being uh, audacious. Really, I think he was just being honest about the fact that we should be telling people. If we really feel sorry for somebody, we will do what we can to help them. And so Jonah preaches judgment. But all of God's threats are merciful. Even in preaching judgment, God is merciful. You know, a doctor could know about your illness if you had cancer or something really, really bad that was terminal or life-threatening, okay? A doctor could know about your problem. And because of his love for you, not tell you. And honestly, this morning you're going to say, that's not love, that's cowardice. He's afraid to tell me the truth. And I'm sure I've never had to sit in that position. I'm not a, uh, never really even aspired to be a doctor, but I can't imagine having to sit in front of them and tell them that you're going you're gonna to die. But in reality, we have a, a much more uh, important message than any doctor telling their patient that they're about to die. We have a message that says you have a terminal condition called a sin nature. And it's going to put you in hell unless you get the only antidote out there. And the antidote, the cure, really, the cure for our condition is Jesus. And so we have good news to tell. It might sound judgmental, but with all of God's judgments and all of the threats, if you will, he is merciful. It's a message of mercy. Someone has said that it's only good news if it gets there in time. Praise God for good news, but it's only good news if it gets there in time. I've heard somebody say, uh, I heard a story about a man who was preaching uh, to, I believe, a Bedouin shepherd. And he was preaching to him, you need to be saved, you need to get saved. And he was uh, very persistent in telling this Bedouin shepherd about his need of, of getting saved from his sin, to trust Jesus. And, and he said, uh, the Bedouin shepherd said, ah, I understand what you're doing. You are trying to not commit the sin of the desert. The, you know, this, this sin of the desert was... Uh, to know where water is, but to not tell those who need it. That's a sin in the desert. To know where to find help. Where's water? I'm about to die. 
because I don't have water. And yet there's some in this world who know the cure and yet keep it to themselves. And I know that this is an uncomfortable thing to talk about sometimes because we are all aware of how we fail. We fail in this area. We fail. But I thank God that today he's given us another opportunity to do what's right. So he preaches to these people. He might be saying, well, he called Jonah to do that, but he didn't call me to do that. I'm sorry, but there's five times in the New Testament that we find Jesus telling us, telling his disciples, but indirectly. We, well, we're all disciples, aren't we? So although we weren't there when he said it, he gave us his word to make sure that we knew it. He tells us five times to go into the world, into all the world. Not to be selective about it either. He said, just in case you're wondering... All the world means Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the outermost parts of the world. Go to all, even the people you don't like, and tell them about the gospel. Preach to them that Jesus died for their sins and loves them and wants them to be forgiven. And praise God, uh, we have this wonderful gift in our life, but we have a responsibility to tell others. So Jonah here, he's preaching, and I wonder... Uh, what would happen in America if all the Jonas got right? They're saying this is this is a, a Nineveh problem. It's all of those people out there. They're the ones that need to get saved. It's their problem. No, it's our problem. Uh, the problem wasn't so much with Nineveh as it was, was with Jonah. Do you know where the problem in America is? In our churches. Our churches. There's nothing wrong in America. But that could be made right if all the Jonas, if all God's people would get right. When Jonah got right, Nineveh got right. Did you get that? When Jonah came back to God, Nineveh came to God. His message spread. I'm not saying that you're going to have thousands and thousands and 600,000, a million people get saved because of of you preaching the gospel. But God called us just to be faithful. Not everyone's going to receive the message, but that doesn't mean we quit. There's so many times that we want to give up. I've had tracks thrown back at me, okay? I've had people slam the door in my face. I've had people cuss me out. Did I give up? Do I give up? No. We can't give up. We have to keep going. Because that's really, their reaction is just an indication of what's going on in here. They're reacting not to you as much as to the Holy Spirit who is convicting them. And we're thanking God for His conviction, and uh, because that's what saved, uh, that's how we came to Jesus, right? Because we knew we needed to be saved. And it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to face the fact that we are sinners. We have sinned against God. And it's sad that so many churches don't preach that just real clear, right? Uh, oh, well, you made a mistake. You had an indiscretion. You didn't really tell a lie. You told a white lie. You're really not that bad. There's a lot worse out there. But my friend, all of us are sinners. That's what the Bible says very clearly. And, uh, and preachers should just be clear about this fact, that we're all sinners. And it's not a, a good message necessarily to hear at first. I'm thankful for Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death. Why are you thankful for that, pastor? Well, because it's honest. It's telling me my need. But then it has some good news at the end. Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death, but... 
Can you finish the rest of the verse with me? The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Praise God for that. And so, uh, that, you know, that's not always, uh, you know, people don't want to hear that we're sinners. And they don't want to hear that we're going to hell. They don't want to hear that. But sometimes the things we don't want to hear are the things we need to hear. It's reality. It's the truth. But it seems that the problem's not so much with Nineveh as it is with the Jonas. And we see the word of God through the, the mouth of this prophet. His message spread like wildfire through the city. The Ninevites' response was astounding. What did they do? Did they mock him? Did they laugh at him? Did they tar and feather him? Did they ride him out of the city on a rail? No. The Bible says in verse number 5, so the people of Nineveh, we're in chapter 3, the people of Nineveh, what's the next word? Believed. They believed God. See that? Chapter 3, verse 5. Look at it, look at it if you would. If you don't have it there, open it up. Okay? Uh, verse 5. So the people of Nineveh believed God. And what did they do? We see that they proclaimed a fast. They, uh, they got right with the Lord. And the word came unto the king, and he got right with the Lord. In verse 7, he, he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. He declares a, uh, a fasting day. Uh, and then we see that in verse 9, he says, Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? And God saw their works, that they were turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he had said he would do unto them. Meaning he said, I'm not going to destroy you because you repented. He had every right to do that. But thank God for his mercy. His mercy. I wish we could end in chapter 3, don't you? If you know the rest of the story. But that would not be true to the whole story. So let's go to chapter 4. Not only did we see Jonah ran, he repented, he returned back to God's will. But then we see, fourthly, that Jonah regretted, or Jonah even resented. Whatever you want to put in there is fine. But verse number 1, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. What? What displeased him? He was... He saw one of the greatest revivals in his day, and it displeased him. And he was very angry, very angry. He prayed the Lord, and he said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? And don't forget Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It's all God's country, okay? I know sometimes we say, well, I'm back in God's country. It's all God's. It it belongs to him. It's his world. But here's Jonah, who's a prophet of God to the Israelites, but he's called to go somewhere else, to people that were not not loved. (laughs) They were despised. These are uh, the Israelites' enemies. And he says, "Uh, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? 
Therefore I fled there uh, before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God, and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and uh, repentest thee of the evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. He's mad at God because of God's mercy. Seems strange that a preacher would be angry that his listeners, those that came to hear him preach, repented of their sin, but that's exactly Jonah's reaction to the Ninevites' repentance. If you could imagine a citywide crusade here in Milwaukee where thousands and thousands come, let's say, to the American family field, and the whole stadium is filled up, and the preacher gets up and preaches. He declares the gospel. He tells the truth. He preaches it straight. He preaches it true to the Word of God. And at the invitation time, there are hundreds if not thousands of people who get up and they come down to be counseled on how to be saved. And the preacher sits down and he gets angry because people got saved at the, because they heard the message. Could you imagine? He sits there on the platform, he crosses his arms, and he says, Why, God? Why? Why are you saving all of these people? He obviously has a problem. There's rejoicing in heaven because sinners are getting saved. And here Jonah is here down on on the earth pouting and complaining. Thinking to himself, I knew it would turn out this way. I knew if I preached, they'd get saved. They'd get under conviction. I knew it. I knew if they got under conviction, they'd repent. And then, God, you're so good, I knew that you were going to forgive them. I was, I was waiting for hellfire and brimstone to come and destroy the city of Nineveh. And here's Jonah trying to tell God how to run his business. Don't we get that way sometimes? You might say, I would never do that. I'd be happy if people got saved. My friend, I think there's some times where we do get upset at God because of what he decides to do. I believe that it's just as dangerous to run ahead of God and to see God bless and then refuse to be grateful for his blessing, to see God do something great. It's just as dangerous to run ahead of God as it is to run away from God. Sometimes we get upset with God because our enemy repents instead of receiving judgment. God decides to forgive them and bless them. We need to remember that God is doing what is just and what is right. We need to submit to his will, and we need to submit to his timing. See, many times we know God will do something, but unfortunately we are not patient with his timing. We don't wait on the Lord like we should. But when God starts blessing, I've heard somebody say, when God starts blessing, the devil starts messing. Elijah was on Mount Carmel. The fire of God fell. We see that uh, Elijah was used mightily to show the power of God and to bring God glory and to expose the impotence of this false god Baal. If you remember the Old Testament, that uh, the prophets of Baal couldn't do anything, but God uh, was powerful enough to send fire. And then the next chapter, we read how Elijah is running for his life. Uh, he's running from Jezebel. Uh, you know, it's not unusual for us to be attacked by the devil right after a great revival. 
It's not unusual for, uh, for the devil to get upset because God is being glorified in our lives. When God begins to do something miraculous, the devil gets busy. So just expect that, okay? We got to expect it. I know that it's hard. I know that it's difficult when the devil starts messing with you. And you might say, well, I don't mind if he messes with me, but he better not mess with my children. You need to talk to Job about that. Because God even allowed him to do some things. Because God is testing us. God wants to know what we're made out of. God wants to know that we are going to be faithful to him and still thank him despite what happens in our lives. Now, I don't think that most Christians could have endured what Job endured, but Job was a special Christian. He was a special uh, believer, okay? I, I know that he, uh, the Bible says that he was a man that, uh, that was a righteous man, and he also was not involved with things that many others were involved with. He was a man who followed God and loved God, but he was tested just the same, and so will you. Many times we get tested, you know, Right after we get saved, even. There's some that get saved, and they are, they are just so thrilled with what just happened in their life. They are excited for, um, for knowing now the truth and having the burden of sin lifted, and the Holy Spirit comes to live inside them. And then right away, what happens? The devil comes to attack. And sadly, many give up because it is difficult. It is hard. But... Doing the right thing is always going to be difficult. You have to go against the grain, even just to do something moral in this world. Just to be moral, to live a moral life. To not steal, to not cheat, to not backstab, to not uh, hold a grudge, to not uh, be unfaithful in something. You are going against the grain just to live a moral life. But then put on top of that, knowing the truth, to know who Jesus really is, to know that, that he is the Son of God, who is the Messiah, that died on the cross. He lived a sinless life. Unlike some people say, well, you know, he was a pretty good guy. No, he was the Son of God. He was God in the flesh. He was the Son of God and the Son of Man, 100% man, 100% God. To know that and to know Jesus, to be saved, to have the Holy Spirit inside of you, and to then try to not just live a moral life, but live your life for the Lord because you love him, you are going to face opposition. You're going to face opposition not just from the world and your flesh, but also the devil. Do you remember that when Jesus was baptized, uh, the Spirit ascended or descended upon him the spirit of god descended upon him like a dove right the the holy spirit comes down god from heaven says this is my son in whom i am well pleased but immediately after that if you read what the the gospel says right after his baptism where does he go he was in the wilderness and he was uh he he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and guess who decided to show up? The devil. 
He was tempted by the devil. Adrian Rogers says, When God opens the windows of heaven to bless us, the devil opens the doors of hell to blast us. That is true, isn't it? Let's go to Jonah chapter 4, verse 4. And the Bible says here, Then said the Lord, Doest thou well to be angry? Come on. You know, it's almost like, come on, Jonah. Come on. So Jonah went out of the city, and he sat on the east side of the city, and there made him a booth, and he sat under it in the shadow till might see what would become of the city. He's still waiting. Is God going to judge them? Is God going to destroy them? Forty days, remember. Forty days. And the Lord God prepared a gourd. He made it to come up over Jonah, that it might be a shadow over his head. Uh, He was with Jonah. He didn't forget about him. Uh, To deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceeding glad of the gourd. He's happy for the gourd, but he's mad about the city, right? He's mad about, God, why don't you just judge him? Come on. But thank you for the gourd. But God prepared a worm when the morning rose the next day, and it smote the gourd. And uh, a vehement east wind, I'm sorry, it smote the gourd and it withered. And it came to pass when the sun did arise that God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah that he fainted and wished in himself to die and said, Is it better for me to die than to live? And um, this is the second time in this chapter that he said something like that. And it seems rather cruel of God to give him this, this gourd, this plant, and then to send a worm and to send the wind. But why did he do that? Because God is working on a stubborn, unmerciful, unforgiving, unloving heart of a prophet. A man who is raised up and called to preach the gospel to preach judgment, impending judgment, unless you repent. He was, he was the man that God had called to do that. And yet his heart wasn't right. That goes to show me that there's sometimes we can even serve God with a wicked heart, can't we? We can have all of the outward expression of servitude and love towards God, and yet in our heart have a, a, a wicked a uh, heart of unforgiveness and, and, and with no love for those that we are trying to supposedly serve and, and, and reach. Well, that's wicked, isn't it? I, I, and I, don't want, I, I, I understand that Jonah isn't here. I hope that he repented of all of this. Uh, and some scholars say that he must have because of the fact that we have this, this here in Scripture. You know, somebody wrote it down. He, he um, has a an unforgiving heart, a heart of pride. And this was clouding his spiritual eyes. There's sometimes where we, we can have such a wicked heart as a, a believer, as a Christian, and we, we don't have any discernment because of our sin, because of what's going on in here, uh, because of, uh, 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 of our lack of fellowship with the Lord, real fellowship with him. I know God's always speaking to us like he did with Jonah. He continued speaking to him. But the relationship was not right because of Jonah. And we can be that way too. We can show up at church. We can come to church and and, uh, we can go through the motions. But yet we're not right. And I believe that that can only go on so long. 
something will break. Something's going to give. And Jonah did the right thing by preaching the word, but he had a bad attitude. Jonah selfishly wants his way no matter the outcome. He should be happy that God's not going to send judgment, but he's like, God, just burn them. They deserve it because of what, you know, he's harboring bitterness because of what happened to his people that the Assyrians, that these wicked Ninevites had perpetrated, had done to his people. Just deal with them, God. But God loves us all. Praise God. You know, there's some here today that grew up in a Christian home, maybe, and, or they, you know, you just never got into trouble. You know, you just always, you always had some semblance of morality. You maybe had some moral teaching in your life, or you just decided, I'm not going to do drugs. I'm not going to go out there and do all these bad things. I'm not going to smoke and uh, do all this stuff. You know, I'm, as they say, I don't smoke, I don't chew, I don't go with girls who do, and uh, so on. You never wanted to do any of that, Okay. You lived a moral life, but you weren't saved. But there came a point where you, you realized that, yes, I have a sin nature, I'm a sinner, I might not have engaged in all those wicked things, but Jesus died on the cross for my sins and saved me. And then there's some in this room that you did everything that the world has to offer, and it's only by the grace of God that you're even alive right now. But does God love all people the same? Did not Jesus die for all people, even those that are sitting in prison, and rightfully so, they're sitting in prison right now as we're here this morning? There's some people that are, have been locked up for the rest of their life uh, because they have done the worst of the worst crimes. But I'm going to submit to you this morning that God sent his son Jesus to die for them too. There are some people who have done crimes against our community, have done crimes against our country. And, you know, I I understand that God did set up government for the purpose of bringing justice and to protect people. But there's times where we want to take things into our own hands or we're not willing to let go of, of what somebody has done to us. But really, truly forgiving somebody, I know that they say forgive and forget, but that's almost next to impossible to forget what somebody's done. But to forgive and to let go, to release them, that is what's important. Read the life of Job, read the life of Joseph, and you'll be encouraged today with those things. But we look at Jonah, and unfortunately, Jonah didn't do right. And sometimes we don't do right. Let me ask you two questions. Have you ever done the right thing with a bad spirit and a bad attitude? Have you ever done the right thing with a bad spirit and a bad attitude? And sometimes, sometimes uh, we're kind of like uh, uh, Corey Ten Boom, who had been put into a concentration camp in World War II. Uh, she, she was put there uh, for doing the right thing. And she was tortured. Her family was killed. And she went through the atrocities of a Nazi camp. And yet after World War II was over, she's around the world giving the testimony of God's love and forgiveness and how that she forgave all of those that did all of these things to her. But then at one meeting, she's actually confronted face to face with one of the guards 
of that concentration camp who came to hear her speak and came up to her, and I'll probably get the story wrong, but it was something like this. He came up to her and said, Fraulein, isn't it wonderful to partake in the blessing of forgiveness, that God would be merciful to all? He was one of the guards from the concentration camp, and he asked her for her forgiveness. And she said that it seemed like an eternity as she grappled with the thought of this is a person who was a partaker in a crime against my family. Her family had been killed in this concentration camp. And she had to, she had to do the right thing. And that was to extend forgiveness to this wicked person who had been forgiven of God. Well, isn't it wonderful to hear that story and to say, wow, that's great. I'm so glad for Corey Ten Boom and uh, her forgiveness, the ability that God gave her, the grace that God gave her to forgive somebody that had done wrong to her. But how about us? How about us who have been uh, wronged and uh, we have to uh, go through the motions sometimes and uh, we have sometimes done the right thing but with a bad spirit and a bad attitude. We need the grace of God. Just like Corey Ten Boom, right there, as this man uh, extended his hand and said, please forgive me, she had the grace of God in that moment because she asked God for help. And you need to too, my friend. I need to as well. When we are faced with something that is impossible, to forgive somebody who has maybe perpetrated something against us or our family or our community or our country or our world, somebody that is, is just a wicked person. But when true forgiveness is sought, we need to ask God, God, please help me to love this person like Jesus loves them, to love them like you love them, and to forgive them for what they've done. Second question is, have you ever done the right thing for the wrong reason? Sometimes we do the right thing because we have an ulterior motive. Imagine we have all I imagine we've all been there. We go through the motions of forgiving somebody because, after all, we know it's the right thing to do, right? Uh, then, lo and behold, the person admits that they were wrong, and they want to be forgiven. They want to be reconciled. Well, what do you do now? You weren't expecting the reaction out of them. You thought that uh, you were going to do the right thing and go through the motions, even though you had a bad attitude or you were doing it for the wrong reason. You are doing it because, you know, the, the church wants me to do this. It's the right thing. And I know that, you know, people will say something if I don't forgive them. But then lo and behold, the person who had done something wrong actually really, truly repents of their sin, gets things right with God, and they want to be reconciled. What do you do now, I hope you make the right decision. I hope that you say, you know what, God, I was doing this for the wrong reason, but now I see that, God, you are always good, and you're always right, and even in the worst of worst situations, you can make a way. You can make it possible for even the uh, most unlikely people, enemies, for them to come together and be reconciled. Praise God for that. I know that there's some in here that have gone through terrible, difficult things in your marriage. Some of you uh, are estranged, maybe. Maybe uh, with your uh, spouse or your children. And you've gone through some of the, the, basically, uh, some of the most horrible things at the hand of maybe somebody that you loved or uh, you thought they loved you. Imagine we've all been in a situation where we go through the, um, through the motions, 
We go through the motions of forgiveness. And then God does a work. What do we do? A spirit-led person will repent of their hypocrisy and forgive. A fleshly person will harbor bitterness. They may give lip service and go through the motions, but they are biding their time. They will think of a way to justify themselves and continue in their self-righteousness. There's times that we get mad at God even for, <laughs> for working in somebody's heart. Like, God, why did, why did they have to do the right thing? Now I have to do the right thing. <laughs> I, I'm sure we've all been there on some level, haven't we? And there's times that we get ahead of God. We get mad at him for not moving fast enough. We get, you know, he could have just said, God, why didn't you just destroy him on day one? They've already done enough bad things. To, why'd you have to give them 40 days? Why? You gave them a chance. And then they took the chance. They got things right. But again, I have to go back to the fact that all of us, all of us can relate. If we're honest, we can relate with Nineveh because we deserve God's judgment. And my friend, if you've been saved, praise God. You need to just thank him this morning. Just thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. But if you're not saved this morning, don't wait. Don't wait. Don't wait. I don't think that Nineveh waited. They got right. You know, some of us wait to the 39th day. Some of us think that we're going to make it to the 39th day. And at 11 p.m., at 11.59 and 11, uh, 59 seconds, we're going to get right with God and everything's going to be fine. My friend, that's not the right heart. That's the devil speaking to you, saying that you've got plenty of time and, and, you know, I can wait. No, you can't. The Bible's very clear that we should not put off till tomorrow, something that has to be done today. Because the Bible says today is the day of salvation. So if you're not saved, come to Jesus this morning. Uh, don't get ahead a of God. Don't get mad at him for what he's doing, uh, what, what is right in the world. There's sometimes where we, we, we hear about somebody who repented and we begin to uh, think, well, did they really get right? You know, and, and uh, well, that's for God to decide, right? That's between them and the Lord. But we need to just thank God to say, well, praise the Lord that people are still tender to the Holy Spirit. They're still, they're still listening to God. And it'll all be sorted out in the end, okay? Vengeance is mine, God says. I will repay. God's going to sort it all out in the end. Isn't that great? Because we try, and we try to have a pure church, and we try to do the right thing here on earth, but at the end of the day, we're still humans. We still make mistakes. But God, who is a perfect judge and a righteous judge, He will make all things right. He does all things well. So don't get out of sorts because God's good to others. Be thankful for his goodness and forgiveness in the lives of even other people. So the book of Jonah ends. Let's finish reading here, if we could. Verse number uh, 9. And God said to Jonah, Dost thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I, I do well to be angry even unto death. Then saith the Lord... Thou hast had pity on the gourd, for which thou hast not labored, neither madest it grow, which came up in the night and perished in a night. 
And shall, I, uh, shall not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left, and also much cattle? My friend, let's get our eyes off of material things and get our eyes on things that actually matter. I love this phrase. It's not in the Bible, but I still like it because the principles are in the Bible. It's not about who's right. It's about what's right. The devil wants us to focus on what's wrong and what's not right and who's right rather than who is right and what is right. We have the Bible. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the grace of God in this world. Aren't you so thankful for his mercy to even let us take the last breath that we took? And yet we get mad at God and we say, well, God, why didn't you just deal with that? Why didn't you just fix this problem? My friend, in heaven, it's all going to be sorted out. And we're going to be thankful for those that are there. I've heard people say, I've heard someone say, we're going to be surprised at who's there. And we're even going to be surprised at who's not there. Because there's a lot of people who pretend that they love God and they know God and they have a relationship with Him. They, they're forgiven of their sins, but they're going through the motions. So right now, if this is your life, if, if your life is one of just, uh, uh, you're, you're living the Sunday shows, I've heard it called, like the Pharisees. They just live to be seen. If that's your life, stop living that life because it's a life that ends in hell. Have a relationship with God. Be forgiven of your sins. Well, well I've already been baptized. All right, the, the church, what are they going to say? I hope if we have the right attitude towards, towards you and towards others, we will say glory to God. Praise God they got saved. Because it's not going to matter in heaven who or what here on earth. It doesn't matter who thinks anything or, or what they think. It really only matters what God thinks. So get, get your focus off people, get your focus off things, and get your, get your heart set on the souls of men. Okay, Not what their opinion is. Not how much money they have. Not how much education they have. Not how connected they are. Not with their political affiliation. Not with their skin color. Not with the, uh, maybe the, uh, the religion that they follow. Realize that all have to come by the way of the cross. It is only by the grace of God that any of us will make it to heaven. And all of us are loved by God, but not all of us are going. So get your focus on the souls of men and the need of the hour is to preach the truth in love and to be faithful at doing that. Who? Let me ask you, let's personalize this. Who in your immediate uh, group, in your family, your workplace, or your apartment building, your block, who is it that you are burdened for? Who are you going to preach the gospel to? That is really, at the end of the day, all that matters. And it does matter. Because God puts you where you live and work in the family that you're in on purpose. Because there are people that you, you uh, interact with on a daily basis. And if you're not witnessing to them, you don't love them. Oh, pastor, you can't say that. Do you love them enough to tell them the cure to their, uh, their terminal problem? They're going to die and go to hell without Jesus. And I know many of you do. Many of you do. You love, you love your spouse. You love your children. You love your neighbors. And you do that. So praise God for that. But keep going. Keep going. Don't, don't give up. Don't give up. They might just be one of those people that wait till the 39th day. 
George Mueller prayed for two people for 60 years of his ministry. They didn't get saved until after George Mueller died and went to heaven. But he's, he's there in heaven with them now. Amen. Praise God for it. It's not about... Uh, it's, it, it, at the end of the day, we need to just be burdened for what God...